Good morning again. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning as always. Um, I think the air conditioning is finally working now, maybe. So sorry about that. So um, those of you that know me, you know uh, I'm an expository preacher. I prefer to have a passage of scripture that we break down verse by verse and we look where Christ is in it and then we apply it to our lives and most of you know I prefer to go through whole books of the Bible because then God gets to set the agenda. You know, what's written there is what you have to preach. But for the summer, until we begin our next series in Galatians next month, we are preaching some topical sermons. And we saw that uh, Pastor Eric the last two weeks preached two sermons, and we're going to be topical until uh, back to church Sunday, the week after which we're going to start Galatians. But like Pastor Eric alluded to, you know, when you aren't preaching through a book of the Bible, you're adding a step, a very important step you got to decide what you're preaching on, right? And sometimes that just is not easy. I've bounced back and forth between some topics for today, and since I haven't preached for three weeks, that gave me plenty of time to decide for absolutely sure what I want to preach, which I did multiple times. I kept changing my mind. Ultimately, since I'm going to have the pleasure today of baptizing two of my best friends, I won't cry yet, I decided reluctantly to preach to you on baptism today. Now, why do I say reluctantly? Well, I believe, and we believe as a church, that baptism is reserved only for believers. But unlike many people who take that view, as well as people who take the opposing view, I don't believe it just because of a few choice verses or, or the meaning of just a few Greek words of the New Testament. So I don't have one passage that teaches believers' baptism that I can preach today. What I have is the whole Bible. The unfolding story of an unchanging God who made unchanging promises to his people. Of a God that called the people at his, as his own, at the cost of his own life. The story of the humanity that God took on to fulfill all that he promised to us. So that means to talk about baptism today, we have to cover a whole lot of ground in order to understand why baptism is for believers only. And what it means when we take that step of baptism. And that's why I was reluctant to pre preach on this. There's just so much we could talk about. But what ultimately convinced me that I needed to was the fact that I know many Christians who hold the correct view on baptism and really have no idea why they do. In a lot of cases, it's just what they were taught. Well, that's what they did at the first church they went to. That's how they were raised. But ultimately, what convinced me is the more I thought about it, what convinced me that I need to preach this today is that we need to understand why we believe baptism is for believers, because if we don't, we are missing the big picture of the whole Bible. And I want us to understand what that big picture is. And I want us all to be able to explain and understand from the Bible why we as a church baptize believers and don't baptize babies. And through that, listen, we are going to see how magnificently the Bible all fits together. Listen, this could not possibly be the work of man. And what is in these pages should excite us. It should invigorate us. These are the very words of life, brothers and sisters. So as I said, we're going to cover a lot of ground, and we're going to barely scratch the surface on what we're talking about. And we're going to focus on the promise of God to Abram, or Abraham that he was named later, because so much of the Bible hinges on the promise that God gave to him. And a true understanding of these promises, the ones that God gave to Abraham, and the covenant that he made to him are so vital to understanding the rest of the Bible. And it's vital to understanding baptism. Because there are two parts of the promise that, that Rico just read. Two parts of the promise. God is promising Abraham a physical offspring 
They're going to a physical land of physical rest. But he's also promising Abraham a spiritual offspring and providing a spiritual means of spiritual rest. And both of these are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are two roads that both lead to the same place. They are one promise, but in space and time they play out as two different lines that finally intersect only at the cross of Christ. So we're going to start this morning at the beginning. Not quite the beginning. We're, we're going to skip two chapters and go to chapter 3 of the Bible. Genesis 3, at the fall of man, where sin entered the world, and God made his first promise of redemption. Now, we know this story, right? God completed making everything that he had made, and he said it was all very good. And Satan, through the serpent, beguiles Eve and fools her into sinning against God. She is disobedient to God by eating the fruit. And we know, the Bible tells us, Adam was right there with his wife. He failed in his calling as the head of his family, failed in his calling as the head of the whole human race. He failed to be what God called him to be, and when he sinned, the entire human race, us, all of us, we became sinners. And because of that, God pronounces curses on Adam and curses on Eve, but not before cursing Satan through the serpent. And as part of that curse, God says this, Genesis 3. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is not just a curse that God is pronouncing on Satan. This is the first presentation of the gospel. God himself is giving us the first presentation of the gospel. The offspring of the woman, as he promised, would be victorious over Satan. And realize, when the Bible talks about offspring, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a child of the next generation. It could mean someone from 30 generations down the line. And also realize in the ancient world, and actually in the modern world, up until very recently, ancestry meant a whole lot to people. Offspring meant a whole lot to people. Individualism was worthless until about 60 years ago. Family line meant everything to people. So, understanding what the word offspring might mean, understanding the value of offspring in the ancient world, I want to start with two questions this morning. Here in this promise in Genesis 3, who is the woman and who are the offspring? So, very early on, the Bible is using this word offspring in a different way than it would have been understood. Because Adam and Eve believe God was talking about Eve and her son. We see it. First she thinks it's Cain, then she thinks it's Seth. We know on this side of the cross, of course, ultimately, the offspring of the woman is Jesus. He was bruised, and through that, he won victory over Satan and victory over sin and victory over death. But there's more here. There's much more here. In this one sentence, the Bible is foreshadowing the entire history of redemption. Think about this. At the start of what would have been a very patriarchal world for many, 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 far too many millennia, I have a question for you. Consider how the Bible focuses all the family line on the men in the Bible, right? All throughout Genesis, when we get to First Chronicles, we're like, oh, 15 chapters of this guy begot this guy, and this guy begot this guy, and this guy begot this guy. It always focuses on the men. Why does God make the promise about the woman here? I mean, the Bible's clear, right? God held Adam responsible for the fall. God held Adam responsible for sin entering the world. Why doesn't God put enmity between the serpent and Adam? Why not between the serpent's offspring and Adam's offspring? Why the woman? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the woman refers to much more than Eve. And the offspring is much more than just her physical children. Now, as for the woman, I do believe is an allusion here to the culmination of this in Jesus Christ, right? He had no physical father. He was the direct offspring of a woman. 
But there is more here. There's a further spiritual meaning here. And the offspring, it refers to not just Christ, not just the entire line from Eve through Seth all the way down to Christ that Luke de details for us. There is a spiritual meaning here. And to understand the spiritual meaning, we're going to jump a little bit forward in the Bible to the book of Revelation. Here's a little preview, a little teaser for what you're going to get on Tuesday nights if you want to come, okay? Let's go to Revelation 12. Starting in verse 1, we read, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. This is the woman that God's talking about. She's about to bring her offspring into the world. Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten hordes, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept out a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Well, here's the serpent again. This time presented as a dragon. And, and again, it represents Satan. He wants to destroy the offspring of the woman as soon as he's born. Why? Well, because God promised him this is going to be how he was destroyed. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. A king, physically born of the woman, the one who rules all the nations. He ascended and sits on his throne. Satan could not defeat him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. We see here, now God protects the woman. He preserves her. First through the wilderness, then in a predetermined place for a predetermined amount of time. This is the nation of Israel. And because the dragon couldn't destroy her physical offspring, look what verse 17 says. Then the dragon, meaning Satan, became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. There's more offspring here. Those who keep the commandments of God and believe in her firstborn, Jesus. So now we know. On this side of the cross, in Genesis 3, when we read, God say, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This woman is not just Eve. This is Israel. The physical seed, the physical seed God preserved to physically bring forth the true Israel, Jesus Christ. And the offspring is not just the physical line that was preserved to bring forth the king. It is not only Jesus. No, it is all those who in Christ who through faith in the firstborn become the spiritual offspring of the woman. This is us. This is talking about believers of all times. There is enmity between us and Satan, right? This is why we do not struggle against flesh and blood, do we? Our battle is against spiritual, spiritual darkness. There is enmity between us and the offspring of Satan. All of those, like with Adam and Eve, all of those who Satan has fooled into disbelieving God. This is the unsaved world. But as promised... We know now, Jesus overcame it all, didn't he? He's victorious over all of it. This is quite a promise here. Remember I said there's a big picture to understand? This is the big picture. What God promises here is exactly what unfolds in all the other pages of the Bible. Now, Lee, why don't we take this trek down this rabbit hole and we're supposed to be talking about baptism? Well, we need to see the Bible establishes something here. It establishes both a physical and a spiritual meaning whenever it talks about offspring. When it refers to his promised offspring, and, and that offspring is the focus of the Bible, we need to see that the Bible explains this central theme many times. It is unfolded in space and time through God's dealings with his people, revealing his truth a little more and a little more and a little more until it is culminated in Jesus Christ. 
And the key to understanding the big picture is that, and that's also the key to understanding baptism. Because we'll see, this promise is made multiple times by God. And each time he does it, like I said, he reveals a little more and a little more. And that brings us to our passage today with Abraham and the promise God makes to him. Genesis 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls Abram to leave everything he knows, the only life he's ever lived. He says, go where I'm calling you to go. And he promises Abraham something. He says, I will make you a great nation. And when he says he'll make him a great nation, he's promising offspring. Same thing when he says, I will make your name great. It's the same thing. He is promising offspring. And then God promises this blessing. He says, you will be a blessing, Abraham, Abram, at this point. Those who bless you will be blessed. And God says that in him, in Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see here in his promise to Abraham, this extends beyond his own physical children. The whole world is part of this promise. And thankfully, when God called Abram, Abram went. Takes his family, pack up all their things, and they start walking. And we read later on, he's passing through the land of Canaan. And, and you heard Rico say, the Canaanites were in the land. So he comes to his already populated land. And what does God say in verse 7? Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. He called him. He said, look, look at this nation. It's full of people. I'm giving it to you. So who's the offspring he's talking about here? Well, he's talking about the physical offspring of Abram. He's telling him he is going to physically inherit the physical land through his physical offspring. But keep in mind, all right, the promise and the blessing goes beyond Abraham's physical offspring. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through this promise. And also keep in mind what we saw with the promise that God made to the serpent. The physical offspring is ultimately Jesus Christ, and through him God's salvation extends to all who believe. Or it's the same promise God's making to Abram. But we're going to see, just a few chapters later, God turns this promise into a covenant that he makes with Abraham. Look, look what happens. Genesis 15. Now remember, we saw offspring, and the promise was physical. But when God makes the covenant, look what happens with the offspring. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Some time now has gone by since God first makes this promise. Abraham is yet to have physical offspring. So when God appears to him, he starts complaining to him, God, you made me this promise of offspring. I'm going to be a nation, you said, and I have no kids. This other dude, Eliezer, who lives in my house, he's going to have to be my heir, I guess. And God answers Abram's complaint about his offspring, but he does it in two ways. First, he tells Abram that his very own son will be his heir. Actually, literally, in the Hebrew, it says, your heir will come from your own loins. See, God's making it clear he's talking about physical offspring here. But then, God brings Abram outside. Tells him to count the stars if he can. Which obviously he can't, that's the point, right? And God tells Abram, look at this. How many stars are there? So shall your offspring be. 
And it says, Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we know that verse, right? Paul uses that verse twice in the New Testament, twice to prove justification by faith alone. In other words, this is talking about spiritual things. Abraham was believing a spiritual promise because that is what God is ultimately talking about, the spiritual offspring of Abraham. This offspring is the same offspring we saw that was the offspring of Genesis 3. It is physical Israel who God promised the physical land, but it's ultimately the true Israel, Jesus Christ, and all who are justified in him. Look what Paul says in Romans 4, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This is about faith. There is a physical and a spiritual aspect to the promise here. And immediately after adding in this spiritual aspect, God makes it official, as it were. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes an irrevocable promise that God says will be broken only at the cost of his own life. And then more time goes by. Years goes by. I think another 14 years goes by. And you know the story, Abraham and Sarah kind of take matters with their own hands. There was that whole Hagar business, Ishmael's born. Genesis 17. God appears to Abram. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Let's stop there. God promised him he was going to have offspring like the stars of heaven. He told him he was going to father a nation. Here, God says, no, no, no. You are going to father a multitude of nations. And then God literally makes Abram's name great. He changes his name. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then God repeats the promise. He says, no, you are going to be the father of a multitude of nations. So here's my next question. This multitude of nations, is it physical or is it spiritual? Yes. Now, we know Abraham had many sons. It wasn't just Ishmael and Isaac. They actually, the Bible lists six more sons. Maybe there were more. And then we have that Genesis 25 where it lists all their sons and their sons' sons and Ishmael's sons and Ishmael's sons' sons' sons. But what is God doing here? Well, the point is, he was fulfilling the physical promise to Abraham in Abraham's life. And God gave Abraham a sign of the covenant. He gave a sign to Abraham and all of these sons and grandsons and great-grandsons. Every son physically born in the line of Abraham. They were given a sign and it was a physical sign. Genesis 17, verse 9, And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who was eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations. So God gives Abraham circumcision as the sign of the covenant. Every male eight days old is given the physical covenant a sign. A sign that would bruise the body and shed blood, particularly, you know, where offspring come from. All the physical offspring of Abraham were to receive the physical sign. And here, okay, here's the point of dispute over baptism. Those who believe that infants should be baptized point to this passage. Say, God made a covenant with Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham extends into the New Testament church, which we all agree it does. Well, then, if it was for Abraham and his infant children, well, then, baptism, the sign of a new covenant, is for us and our infant children. And proponents of infant baptism say, well, no, you Baptist types, you're a little off here. Yet you're totally losing the promise to Abraham and that it applies to us. You're losing the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament because you're making this, this baptism thing something totally new. But we're not. 
So as I said, when God tells Abraham he will make him the father of a multitude of nations, he is speaking both physically and spiritually. And the continuity for the New Testament church and the new covenant that Jesus made with us the night before his death, it is the continuation of this spiritual promise. In other words, the physical offspring of Abraham receive a physical promise, get a physical sign of the covenant. The spiritual offspring of Abraham receive a spiritual promise and get a spiritual sign of the covenant. And who are the spiritual offspring of Abraham who were able to receive the sign? Well, it is all and only those who believe in the fulfillment of the physical offspring, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, the big picture, the promise of a serpent at the fall, the covenant with Abraham, moving further, the covenant with Israel, the covenant with David, moving further, the new covenant that Christ made with his church the night before he died, they're all one. There are many roads that are walked in space and time, but they all are one when they meet at Christ. Because what God promised at the fall, as soon as it entered the, wor the world, was Jesus. He promised redemption, and that redemption only ever has been in Christ. So to accomplish this promise, God chose for his own good pleasure a man out of the world, Abraham. And then out of Abraham, despite all that offspring, he chooses one son, and not the firstborn, this is all according to God's choosing. Then he chose Jacob, again, not the firstborn, all according to his pleasure and purpose. And then, even though Abraham, even though we have Genesis 25 to list all these nations that came from Abraham, God chose one of them, Israel, the woman, who would bring forth the promised offspring. And God preserved that woman through the wilderness and then in a predetermined place, for a predetermined time until the promised offspring could be born. And in Christ, all the physical promises to Abraham were kept. In Christ, all the physical promises were kept. But God promised Abraham more, right? He promised him spiritual offspring, offspring as many of the stars of heaven. And through it all, and even among the physical offspring, God preserved for himself a spiritual people. People he chose according to his perfect plan and according to his perfect will. Through the wilderness wanderings, through the conquest of Canaan, through the monarchy, through the exile, after the return, through the 400 years of silence until the silence was broken on that first Christmas by the birth of Jesus. And everyone who through that time believed in God's promise, all who believed in God's coming salvation, all who believed what he said to the serpent in Genesis 3, they were saved by that offspring, and they became the spiritual offspring of Abraham and inherited the promise. And then we, on this side of the cross, we place our faith in Christ, we place our faith in the culmination of the physical promises. We are the spiritual offspring of Abraham, and the promises are ours. The promises have always been ours. Now, maybe I'm making all this up. Let's go to the Bible, let the Bible speak for itself. We're going to start in Galatians. Another teaser, get you excited for our, our sermon series starting next month. So, am I right about what I just said? Is the physical offspring Christ? Galatians 3.15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So the promise was always through Christ. He was always the physical offspring. Are we actually the spiritual offspring through faith? 
Galatians 3, 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, so we're the sons of Abraham. But does that mean that the promise made to Abraham is literally a promise to us? Galatians 3, 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay, so we do get the promise. What about physical Israel and the promises God made to them? Romans 9, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Okay, so the promise was us, that we are counted as offspring. Why? Because, as he says in Romans 2, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, not physical, but from God. All right, but then what about the nation? What about the nation that God speaks of as his chosen nation that was promised to Abraham? Well, as Peter tells us, 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, meaning God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's why Paul says in Romans 4, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Jew, non-Jew, doesn't matter. Shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. There's that promise. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Praise God. So then what about circumcision? Let's go to Galatians again. Galatians 6. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And that brings us to the fulfillment. Jesus Christ. The true Israel. This is the covenant that he made with his church, who in him are the Israel of God. Why? Because Christ is the focus of all the covenants. Christ is the focus of all the promises. He is the physical uh, offspring that God repeatedly predicted. And he is the means of becoming the spiritual offspring that God repeatedly predicted. In other words, from start to finish, from the very beginning, the Bible is only and ever about Christ. But we need to understand the previous covenants, they're not canceled. They are fulfilled in Christ. God kept every last promise. God fulfilled every last covenant. Christ is the object of every covenant. And for those of us who place our faith in him, we inherit the promises of those covenants. And it's not like God changed his mind. No, this is the plan from before time began. That God started to carry out the moment Adam entered into sin and the world entered into sin. You've heard me say many times, we are not, as a New Testament church, we are not God's plan B. We are and always have been, through faith in Christ, God's plan A. We are God's plan A to inherit the promises, and we are God's plan A to bring, bring blessing to the nations, to bless all the families of the earth as he promised Abraham. And we know this. Because the culmination of the covenants, the purpose of the law, the point of the preservation of a physical seed, they all meet in Christ, who clarified what God said all along when he made a new covenant with us. Let's go to Luke 22. And he, Jesus, took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink it. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying... This is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, circumcision, requiring the physical bruising and shedding of blood of the means of making offspring. It pointed to Christ, who physically, to make us offspring of Abraham, who physically had his body bruised and shed his own blood to seal the new covenant with us. And that night he gave us a sign of the covenant. He gave us the Lord's Supper. He said, this is the remembrance of what he did through the body and blood that sealed the covenant, through the body and blood that were given for us. And we see here, Jesus is saying, we are moving from a physical sign of the covenant to a spiritual sign of the covenant. Because remember, in Christ, every last physical promise is fulfilled. The birth of Christ fulfilled the promise to the serpent in the covenant, and the covenant with Abraham. The physical offspring was born. His perfect life fulfills the Mosaic Covenant. His perfect obedience in his life fulfilled every last jot and tittle of the law. His death fulfilled what the sign of the Old Covenant was. His resurrection and exaltation fulfills the covenant that God made with David. See, God kept all the promises in Christ. And what we're left with now, here, today, this morning, in our church, is the spiritual covenant that God made with Abraham. The spiritual promise that he made when he cursed the serpent and the spiritual new covenant made in Christ's blood. And what the Bible tells us we are to do is a sign of our inclusion in a purely 100% spiritual covenant only as the spiritual offspring of Abraham is baptism. Where the physical now represents the spiritual, where we identify ourselves with Christ, where we identify ourselves with the fulfillment of all God's promises, where we go under the water to represent his death and come out of the water to represent his resurrection, where we go under the water to represent our death to sin and our rising to new life, being born again in Christ. As Paul said in Galatians 3 also, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Because again, Galatians 6, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as Paul later says in Colossians, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were now raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Praise God again. So you see, we move from a physical sign to a symbolic sign. Because the promise no longer moves through spiritual offspring. That's done. Only through spiritual offspring. So only the spiritual offspring of Abraham, only those who have been born again, only those who have been saved by grace, only those that are part of the everlasting spiritual covenant, only we may partake of the sign of the covenant. And in doing so, when we take that step to become baptized, what we do is declare publicly, I believe God's promises. I believe God's purpose stands. I believe his promises are sure. We declare that we identify ourselves with him, the fulfillment of it all, who commanded us as the spiritual offspring of Abraham too, as he says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And thank God, this isn't reserved only for physical offspring and not only for males. Why? Galatians 3 again, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
So through baptism, regardless of physical distinctions, we declare, along with our physical father, Abraham, our spiritual father, Abraham, that we not only believe in God, when we go in that water, we are saying, we believe God. We believe every last promise. We believe every promise that he hasn't kept, he will. We declare that our salvation is only in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. And we declare ourselves to belong to Christ. And when we do that, we say we have entered into covenant with him. So. It's hot in here. I want to draw a few conclusions together. Now, knowing what baptism is, knowing why we do it, knowing what it's for, okay. We need to be baptized once we're saved. We need to be baptized. We need to take the public profession of faith to signify our entrance to the new covenant. Now listen, this is not a non-negotiable of faith. Okay, you can't say that people that baptize babies are not Christians, are not going to heaven, do not belong to God. Of course they are. However, this is a non-negotiable of church membership. I would not join a church that baptized babies. I would not suggest that anybody who believes in baptizing infants join our church. Because if you are the spiritual offspring of Abraham, if you belong to Christ, once you are saved, you must be baptized. Second, understanding the big picture of the Bible, understanding the promises that God made spiritually were always for the New Testament church, and that we are part of that fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. We need to remember that we are supposed to be a blessing to the whole world. That was God's promise to Abraham. You read through the Old Testament, a lot of the prophets call out the nation of Israel because they forgot this part of it. That even though God said it time and time again, the nation of Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the whole world. What God gave them, the revelation of him, their faith, it was not for keeping to themselves. And now we, as the spiritual fulfillment of the promise of offspring to Abraham, how often do we miss that? We need to realize, the New Testament church, we are not called to keep our faith to ourselves. We are to go, make disciples of all nations. We are to go and baptize them. We are to go and teach them all the Bible teaches. We cannot keep Christ to ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, are we keeping our faith to ourselves? Are we doing our part to fulfill the promise to Abraham to bless the world? We just have to answer that question. Third, and I mean this, we only scratch the surface of what the Bible teaches about this. We've only scratched the surface of what the Bible consistently teaches from beginning to end. So I want to encourage you. Read the Bible in light of the big picture. Realize God has only ever promised Christ from the moment sin entered the world. I know a lot of Christians who dislike reading the Old Testament. I know a lot of Christians who ignore it altogether. But I want to tell you something. The Old Testament scriptures belong to us. The ones the spiritual promises were made to. Those in covenant with the one the Bible reveals, Jesus Christ. So if you understand that the Old Testament is not just about a nation that ceased to exist 2,000 years ago, so why do we care? No. It is not only... The unfolding story of God's salvation in Christ and of those he came to save. In the Bible is the history of God working redemption 
for you. For you. So, let's pray together that God would open our eyes to see his truth. He would open our hearts to believe his truth. He would open our hands to receive what he has to give us. Because listen, there are promises he has fulfilled. And there are promises that he has yet to fulfill. And through us, he intends to fulfill his promise to bless the whole world. So Montclair Community Church, let's pray together. We would be a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am just, I'm amazed, God. And I don't think it's just because I'm a nerd. I'm just amazed at how your, your word fits together, Lord, and how the promises are irrevocable, how the promises work themselves out, Lord, how we can see from the very start of your word to the very end, you working to save us, Lord, for no reason other than that you want to save us. God, it's humbling. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see your truth, to see the big picture, Lord, knowing that you did so much, culminating in sending your own son, Lord, to take on humanity just just to have it destroyed for our sake. It's amazing, God. So, Lord, this morning we declare to you that we believe your promises, Lord. Help us to believe them more. Lord, we declare to you that we want to be a blessing to the world because that is what you've promised. Lord, help us to want it more. Lord, we say this morning that we love you and we believe you. Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to believe you more. God, help us to be what you've called us to be. Lord, we just lay ourselves at your feet, God. We open our hands to let go of anything we're holding on to, Lord, because we want you to fill them. Take from our hearts anything that's not of you because, Lord, we want you to fill our hearts. Take, Lord, from us all of the things that are keeping us from a fuller knowledge of you, from loving you more, Lord. Take them from us because we're weak. But, Lord, you are God. You are the all-powerful God. You are the God who came to save. You are the God who still saves. You are the God who pours out every blessing on his people, God. And for that, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We we love you so much, God. So we pray. We pray, Lord, as those that you have made your children, that you would work in our hearts by your spirit, Lord. Turn us into what we already are. Help us to believe what we don't see, God. And help us to be that blessing that people may come to know you and the salvation that is in your son, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.